Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hi, welcome to our podcast, Med Family. I am the host, Eric Acker, hosting today with Karen. Hey, guys. She she just read through all the notes I made for today, and she's very I skeptical. I have no clue. <laughs> very skeptical on what I've written down. So we're, we're going to see how this goes. Yeah, and we will eventually get you a podcast with another member besides myself. You're perfect. You're perfectly good co-host. Oh, I know, but I know that the ones that have uh, fellow med students typically do better. We are working on it. It's just a lot of the students within Eric's cohort are very busy at this time. Yes, and then there's <laughs> one I've been trying to get on for a little bit, and he's been wanting to get on and do the podcast, but he's uh, been tied up in surgery. He's a little bit more busy than I am, it seems like, with surgery. Yeah, so... so it's been it's been pretty good. We, so but we are, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's coming along. We, we uh, I think we entered, oof, this is our fifth week in surgery, so we have about a week and a half left of yes. our general surgery before we go into orthopedics for another, another three weeks. It's been going, and... This week has felt like two weeks, and mostly because we were on call all weekend. And yeah. So he was at the hospital Saturday and Sunday both. Yeah, and the way we work it, I guess, is that when we're on call, both me and Chris come in in the morning and do our morning rounds. And then if we do, <laughs> if we're lucky enough to get the morning rounds done before we have to do a surgery case, then the person who is not on call can go home. If you're unlucky, like I was on Saturday, you get to do extra surgery, which actually ended up being kind of a mixed blessing. Yeah, so I think you guys rounded a corner um, with Dr. Rogers um, this weekend, even. Yeah, yeah we kind of we kind of hit a wall because we were going to go do a an abscess surgery, and in the in the previous week we had done a few surgeries that were small like that, like abscesses or lipoma. Uh, resections, and we had asked him, like, hey, is it worth scrubbing in for this particular surgery because, you know, I don't want to be in the way. It doesn't make sense for me to get gowned up and gloved up if I'm li- literally not going to touch the patient. Um, and so we, we asked him that. I, I asked him that question about this abscess, and he kind of got He went into this, I don't know, five-minute, whatever time it took us from one end of the hospital to the other end, conversation about how we we can do whatever we want that if you're really interested in surgery you should be scrubbing into every surgery and you should really get your hands into everything no, no matter how big or small and you want to you you should want to touch everything and so after that kind of speech we were like okay we're both we're gonna both you know, I, I i clarified to him that you know we're both here to to get as much as we can out of this rotation as you're gonna let us so if you want us to be, you know, if you, you're going to let us do something, then we're, we're going to scrub in. And so we scrubbed in, and uh, Chris got to make the incision. <laughs> you got to do the lidocaine and the incision, and then um, the doctor kind of pulled everything out. Uh, Chris got to kind of sweep through the abscess, and 
I got to sweep through it as well and pack it with uh, gauze. So we both got to do a little bit of something on that particular procedure. And uh, the next procedure we both gowned in for, we got to do, I can't remember if we actually did anything for the, the next one. I, I don't remember. Uh, so the next day we scrubbed in for another uh, ex exploratory laparotomy, which is basically when you cut the stomach open and you kind of deal with an issue, whether that's a perforated bowel or a small bowel obstruction or whatever. And in this case, I think we were doing a, a sigmoidectomy, uh, so we, or a sigmoid colectomy. So we were removing part of the sigmoid colon, and we didn't actually we had a we had a scrub tech. Usually they're like they're right there assisting the doctor. But in this particular case, the scrub tech just kind of sat back, and me and Chris were the the first assist, you know, holding random instruments and being overall not great at the job, but <laughs> not, not not as good as the scrub techs can be. But we we certainly tried our best. That was a very interesting case because we the patient was very distended, and as we slowly opened the abdomen up, you know, being careful not to perforate the bowels in the process the entire small intestine just popped out like just came out of the abdomen like an octopus trying to get out of out of its cage <laughs> it was definitely unique and when you touched it like it, you know try to keep it from like because you don't want it to slide off the field you know off basically off the patient so you're kind of holding it in place and it's like super slimy and it slides out of your hand super easy and it's really hard to hold on to so it's like like wet bar of soap, kind of like. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> I love the sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we had a pretty um, busy weekend of surgeries, and did require us to be there for most of the day. Um, I felt like we were there till five on Saturday. Well, yeah. I, I wasn't five on Saturday because I, I did paintball oh, on that's Saturday. Right. Um, so I got out about I think about two one thirty two o'clock on Saturday ran and did some paintball and then Sunday we got out about two I think one thirty two as well so we had some relatively long days uh, <laughs> and then of course you know we didn't really have a day off so we just kind of went you know Friday Saturday Sunday you know all, all last week into this week and it's been kind of kept keep going I guess yeah <laughs> but you know the paintball was was fun I, I even though I was a little bit late I got to play a couple games and got of course, a nice little welt slash bruise. Uh, <laughs> my my wife here, Karen, did not appreciate the story I invented for the kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were like, what's wrong with your arm? Why does it look like that? So I was trying to explain that daddy punched the dinosaur with his biceps. <laughs> and while it looks bad, the dinosaur is now extinct. The sad part is, is they're still asking about it today. <laughs> and then he had the gall to to say, well, if you don't do that, then I'll get you a pony for no, your... No, I, I told her if you stop blowing my ear, then maybe you get a pony when you're six, six years old, which she's never going to get. And we're never buying a horse ever. But... Yes. So why would you say that? You're going to stop blowing in my daughter, ear. Our daughter remembers everything. Oh Don't gosh. say anything that you're not, not I just love that she asked you, if daddy's tr trying doctor. to be a doctor, why is he punching dinosaurs? 
Deep thoughts at dinner, right? <laughs> uh, why, would, why wouldn't you punch a dentist if you were a doctor? Oh, goodness. <laughs> anyway, Karen's thought of, she was, it seems like you were mad at me. <laughs> I thought it was funny, but at the same time, <laughs> he says things sometimes and they come back and haunt me, not him. And sometimes I feel like they should come back and haunt him. No, this one was funny. This is great. I thought the horse one, not so much. <laughs> But we'll see. getting back on topic, <laughs> <laughs> your most interesting case this weekend. What was my most interesting case this weekend? That one pers- patient who had organs all in the wrong spot and not the oh. way you typically would have them all in well, the wrong spot. We didn't actually do surgery on that patient. so No, it's... I know, but like you talked about him for a long time. <laughs> it is really weird. Um. <laughs> And I would say that if he had had any sort of surgery, you should have done some sort of case study on him. I know, I know. It was one of those opportunities you, you see and that makes you think that you could write up a nice case report on it because it's so unique. But it's, like, so unique that I'm not sure how helpful it would be to other physicians because, like, how often are you going to find somebody whose stomach and a bunch of small intestines are in the right side of the thoracic cavity and as an enlarged spleen, the liver is gigantic and goes almost down to the pelvis. And then the kidneys are one's like right where it should be. And the other one's right in the pelvic cavity. It's like crazy anatomy. And then he has no problems whatsoever. Like, he, you know, he came in because he had a, like abdominal pain that resolved by itself. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, I guess you can go home then. We refer you to a, a doctor who can take care of you. Like you should probably get that fixed before it becomes a major issue. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, like, if he ever got into any sort of accident, like, how would you render care? Can you imagine being the trauma surgeon on that? Like, well, just be even... like, what in the world is going on? Like, walking into that without any knowledge of what was, you know, like, what this person's normal quote and unquote anatomy <laughs> is and just like oh my gosh he just had a bicycle accident why is his stomach halfway into his heart <laughs> like what is going on like i feel like uh, it would be a heart attack for the trauma surgeon i feel like you would have to like you know the people the people that have like insulin or whatnot they have like those bracelets that that or severe allergies, they have the bracelets. I feel like you should almost have a bracelet if, you, if you, your organs weird. are all in the wrong spot. The thumb drive a picture of it before you actually cut me open. It's not it's what you think. Right. So you cut in the right spot. It's not traumatic. <laughs> it's normal. Yeah, that was a that was an interesting one. We we again we didn't operate on him because again he everything's self resolved and. We just referred him to somebody who was going to be pretty good. That was, a, I guess, a good moment for my doctor of sitting down and explaining to the patient that he could theoretically do the procedure, but he might not be the best person to do the procedure and kind of recognizing his limitations there and you know, he's letting the patient know, like, hey, I, I could do it if I, you know you were in an emergency. You might, get, you might get a halfway decent surgery out of it, but really... You want this other guy who does this more often to do this procedure, and so another kind of great thing about you know you know doctors is you should know your limitations and know when to uh, refer away. And I know it's like 
you don't want to refer away when it's like, oh, I just, it's just, it's just, uh, would be too annoying to do this procedure. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. Cause you had a urologist uh, complain to you guys about when you become doctors and make sure you refer when you have to refer and not if it's something within your scope. Yeah. We were, getting, we were getting some unsolicited advice from a urologist that got called in on a Sunday and. He had a few complaints. He, <laughs> one of his complaints was primary care physicians that see something abnormal on an x-ray and instead of working it up or maybe doing a physical exam to try to figure it out or looking at a previous imaging study to see if it's actually new, they just refer everything out. And so he was a little, a little frustrated about some of this stuff. And I think he had gotten called back in for hydronephrosis on a patient and he was looking back at the patient's imaging studies and was like, this isn't, is, this is not a new finding. This is something the patient's had for a very long time. Not something you should call urologist in on the weekend for like, this is something you can ask for a consult during the week, or maybe they could be discharged from the hospital and then follow up with a urologist. Like they don't necessarily have to be seen now. So he was given some advice much like that. And, I think the other piece of advice he was given is, again, related to physical exams. Uh, he was consulted on a, a particular case where they were saying they were peeing blood or hematuria. And he asked the nurse, like, okay, well, before I get there, I get some urine samples so I have something to look at. And he gets there and he's got four samples of perfectly clear, normal urine. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, well, that's weird. Looks at the patient's history and finds out that she's got fibromas. And then does a pelvic exam and goes, okay, well, you have blood coming out of your vagina. And it's like, well, that's obviously not a urology problem. So this needs to go to the OBGYNs. And it was, and his whole point was like, again, look at the, look at the medical record. Do a physical exam, you know, like actually look at the patient and... You be safe, and I think I know it's self-serving because, like, in his opinion, he didn't want to come in on a Sunday, and so if someone would have done that work, he would not have had to come in on a Sunday. So it, but I think the advice stands anyway. It's good advice regardless. So uh, that was. Well, I mean, as a doctor, every if you work at a hospital, you will have on-call days. And you want to respect other doctors when on their on-call days and make sure that if you're calling them in, you're calling them in for something worthwhile and you hope that people respect your time as well. Because as much as you are a doctor, you do have a life as well. Yeah, and I know I'm, I'm talking maybe a little out of turn because I'm not a doctor yet. And, you know, I hopefully when I practice, I'll, learn, I'll have a lot more experience between now and then. But it's something that's been discussed, I think, broadly in medicine is primary care physicians working to the top of their scope versus uh, lots of referrals out to specialists. And that's been, I think, debated to some degree. I think some, it's a large variety of either primary care physicians that are too busy to be able to do adequate workups or uh, various other reasons for, you know, good or bad for why they refer to specialists. I think sometimes there's even some concerns about malpractice. Uh, you know, if you don't do a whole lot of knee injections or cortisone injections into the knee, then while a primary care doctor could easily do that in the office, a lot of times it gets referred to orthopedics or sports medicine to do. 
and because they do that all the time. And so it could just be, a, well, I don't really want to screw this up, and someone else does this all the time, so why don't I just let the specialist deal with it? Well, and there is also kind of a slow movement of primary care being nurse practitioners versus like an MD Physical, or a, physician's assistants and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, so in that regards, you could see where the top of their practice is different than the top of like a, a DO or an MD. And, and I think it also practice. varies as well on like rural medicine versus urban medicine. Whereas urban, you have kind of a wealth of specialists in the area and rural medicine, you tend to have less. So you do more primary care is very much leaned on heavily to do more. That's why I think in some, some very rural areas, you have family medicine doctors who deliver babies and do obstetrics essentially. Whereas you go to any more urban location, it's I, I feel like it's probably pretty rare for your primary care doctor, your family medicine doctor, to be delivering babies. Yeah. I, I would imagine it's rarer. I don't know. Obviously, I don't have a. I haven't looked in every city to see if that's a thing. Um, anyway, that's kind of off that soapbox for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, it's fine. I, I've been trying to work on. So last week I was trying to share stories that were interesting, at least as far as my rotation and like giving people maybe a little insight of how my rotation has been going. And I tried sharing one story about um, a phrase, a turn of a phrase that my my uh, preceptor did. And at the end of the episode, uh, at the end of we at the end of us recording the episode, Karen said, "No, you should cut that out." <laughs> so there was a good solid five minutes I had to remove <laughs> the episode. So I've been like, man, I need to find something else that um, balances all the sensitivities of this podcast. Like we don't want to be too vulgar in the podcast, and we certainly don't want to violate any patient's privacy as well. And I don't think that's what I don't think we got to that second one, but. I think the maybe a little bit vulgar was the first one was. Uh, well, sometimes these are the, the, these stories I'm hearing for the first time on the podcast. Yeah, that's as, also true. As tonight is uh, going to uh, <laughs> to be. Hey, so I mean, these are I don't think these are too bad. So <laughs> they're relatively tame. Um, so over the weekend, we were talking as we do in the OR, as we have been able to do lately, and the preceptor was talking about a particular patient that like, he had no idea who this person was, but they had his number and they were asking him questions. And then it, and when the guy mentioned a particular dietary habit, it really dawned on him. And, and this particular patient, I guess, is very concerned about diverticulosis. And there's uh, been kind of a, I don't know, a, old wives tale or a, a kind of stubborn myth in medicine that diverticulosis can be exas uh, exasperated or I can call it um, diverticulitis can be caused by eating seeds and <laughs> nuts and seeds and that people should avoid nuts and seeds in order to avoid a flare-up of diverticulitis. And so this patient very much subscribes to that notion even if he was advised that it was just a myth and to the point where he would not even eat tomatoes and to take that a few steps further he apparently would not eat ketchup interesting yeah which i mean i, I don't know how many times i've run into a seed in my ketchup but well they strain it but i mean i never i've never run into a seed <laughs> in ketchup <laughs> and so 
he was referring to him as Ketchup Man. And during a, a, an operation, someone calls. And when we're on call, the nurses typically answer the phone. And the nurse answers the phone, and she goes, uh-huh, okay. And she puts the phone down for a second and goes, Ketchup Man is calling. And we're just like, what? Did you did you really just say that out loud in front of the patient? And he's just like, no, no. That's what he called himself. He said, I don't know if the doctor knows my name, but just say Ketchup Man, and I think he'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> so even the patient kind of knew that the doctor, like, understood his entire history based off of a few words. <laughs> you have you have patients like that though. I think you have like a very unique characteristic, and you just kind of assign that person to that characteristic. And just hearing that will get you back up to speed on everything that's happened with that patient. Well, it's not the worst. <laughs> like if you have some sort of nickname for a patient that doesn't bug them, you can kind of speak freely about anybody about the patient, and they won't know who that person is. <laughs> they might. Try and go look, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most of the time when we have nicknames for patients, we don't generally share it with patients. But I think in this particular case, the doctor alluded to like, oh, now that you said ketchup, I, I, that makes sense. You're, you're the ketchup guy who like X, Y, and Z. And yeah, I, and I know exactly what's going on now. So that was that was kind of a funny story from the OR. The other, the other one I wanted to, I guess, relate was uh, during the beginning of every case, the nurses do a timeout. So, you know, it's the, you read what kind of procedure we're doing, what location, who's doing the procedure, etc. And the nurse was reading out a timeout, and I think she said we are doing, um, you know, I'm going to say Jane Smith, we're, we're doing a laparoscopic laparotomy. And most of us in the OR just kind of pause because, like, I think we're doing an appendectomy. And even the doctor was like, I don't even know what you said, but it's wrong. And the anesthesiologist was sitting there. He goes, I don't think I've ever heard a timeout rejected before. <laughs> so we quickly, you know, corrected the timeout and whatnot. It was a kind of a, a funny joke, but it was, you know, it's something that sometimes the doctors, I think, get very used to doing their timeouts. And so they, they don't always listen i'm not saying that's true for every timeout that we do but to a large extent I and mean, obviously the nurses read it out and people have to say i agree so hopefully you are listening during that time but i don't know that those are the kind of two kind of stories that i've had it's they're just kind of funny stories they're not really like indicative of a common trend or anything like that but it is that was like this was one of the few times we had an anesthesiologist who was very chatty with us, and I think it's just the nature of the being on the weekend. You just have like one anesthesiologist on call, a whole scrub team that's on call, and so it's very much we are the the only team kind of running the show here. You know, anything comes through, we we have to handle it all, and so I think they enjoy having a little bit of com camaraderie and chatting with each other yeah well and you guys have your your specific doctor has interesting taste in music that uh, goes along with yeah. the or room <laughs> <laughs> well he, he'll put on music just random and it will play i'm not sure if it's spotify or what what it is but it will just play randomly songs and sometimes like the timing of the songs is very interesting 
and sometimes just the songs themselves are very odd. Like I think the one that I sent it to Karen and Karen, I, I get like nothing from Karen. I'm 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 pretty sure I'm hilarious, but Karen gives me like <laughs> zero. <laughs> but during like one procedure, and you know it's an awkward. Like it's not just you that thinks it's awkward that the song's on, but when the entire OR just kind of goes quiet. And this this particular song was called Booty Man. I'm not going to really do any lyrics or sing anything for you guys because I, I don't have a voice for that. But if you if you Google or go on YouTube and go Booty Man, you'll find this song. And it's it's like almost four minutes of outrageous. <laughs> Guess what procedure they were doing? <laughs> we weren't well. We weren't doing a colonoscopy that day, but it was just, like that was just like man, that this is really weird. Um, there was another time when there's a song, and I can't remember what the song's name is, but like there's a like a background vocalist that's just constantly saying "Oh yeah," and it's like in a very deep voice like that. And we were doing colonoscopies, and that was just kind of really strange. Like, just doing a colonoscopy, looking for some polyps, and <laughs> got this song in the background going on. Didn't they use that song for a commercial? They do. They yeah. do it all the time. Um, man, I also learned like you also learn some really strange things about your. The people around you, like, you know, Pearl Jam is a big... That's not, that's not the strange thing. Um, like, Pearl Jam was a favorite for a few people. Um, I was surprised to hear that my preceptor was, like... He really liked the Taylor Swift concert that he went to. And then I think they were asking, like, what's the most embarrassing artist that you you really actually secretly like? And he was, like, Lizzo. And I, I, I couldn't tell you. Like, I think I've seen a picture of Lizzo, and she's, I think, made some headlines in the past. But, like, okay. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting musical choice. You know, everyone's got their own flavor. No one asked me my opinion. So, generally, as a medical student, I don't, I don't offer my opinions unless asked. Probably smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a few cases even this last week where, and I even told Chris this as well. I was like, I was starting to feel more comfortable, so I was trying to drop more jokes into the middle of the OR, and I was not landing any of them or making comments. Like, I, we were doing, like, an exploratory laparotomy, and I think I might have related this in a different podcast, but he, a previous exploratory laparotomy, he was asking me a question. He said, what does PID stand for? And being the typical medical student, uh, and not being acutely aware that we're in the abdomen and not the pelvis, I went with pelvic inflammatory disease because PID stands for pelvic inflammatory disease for any medical student out there. Uh, and then he just stops and goes, no, we call it pus in there, in there, like D-E-R. And okay, that was like, okay, I, ha, ha, ha. That's not an acronym that any medical student knows. And then, of course, later, you know, Fast forward to last week, and we're doing an expo- another exploratory laparotomy, and he's fishing around, and there's a whole bunch of pus coming out, and I'm like, oh, look, is that PID? And uh, he just kind of glances at me, and he's going back to work. Like, I don't, like, either he doesn't get it, or he's just like, you're not funny. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and after uh, my more recent attempt at humor uh, the other day, I'm pretty sure I'm, not, I'm just not funny. Uh, <laughs> or at least he doesn't find me funny. I sent him a a picture 
so yesterday we were going to do rounds, and he texted both me and Chris and says, I'm going to be 30 minutes late. And I said, that sounds good. And I sent him a meme, and it's a picture. It says, medicine on rounds, and it's this guy who looks, like, super happy, like, super happy to be on rounds and whatnot. And then it had right below it surgery on rounds, and it was, like, Ben Affleck, like, smoking and sighing, like, looking really, like, depressed and, like, uncomfortable about the whole thing. And I got nothing. <laughs> like no response no like laugh out loud or anything like he didn't comment on it later like it was just met with dead silence I think it was this one <laughs> uh, so I don't know if I'm winning any any uh, awards here on my humor what <laughs> he just, he's looking at me like I should affirm him or something I, I'm hilarious <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I'm not that funny, I guess. Oh, goodness. It's a struggle. It's, it's been a struggle. Everybody has their own type of humor. He's, his just might not mesh well with yours. I guess so. So that's been essentially my surgery week. We've tried to fit in as much question sets that we can and trying to get ready get through all the surgery questions and do a little bit of um, CK studying as well. So we're, we're trying to make efforts to accomplish everything, and I think we're doing okay as far as surgery. I think I, I, think I should not have a problem passing the surgery shelf. As of, I, I haven't taken an MBME yet. I, I will probably take one just to, just to make sure, like, I'm not putting the cart before the horse. You know, I can pass my surgery shelf before I move on to But he's feeling fairly confident because his year-old question sets, he's been getting above average. So that's always a fairly yeah, good indicator. I, when you actually know what you're doing, you're not getting tripped up too often by year-old. Like when you're not missing the 80%, oh, 80% of students got this one right and you missed it. Like that's when you feel a little embarrassed. But like when you're getting most of those and you're missing one or two without like, oh, only like, 36% of people got this one right. And you're like, oh, well, I don't really mind missing that one. I mean, I do mind. I, I want to learn from it. But, like, okay, that's, like, obviously you fooled, like, I don't know, 60, 64% of people already. So, like, I, I'm, I'm well within the average. Yeah. So, um, from here on out, we're gonna, you're going to do question sets from all topics to start preparing for step two. And then you're still working on um, practice tests for step two, and you'll probably do a practice test for your surgery shelf exam as well. Yeah, so we're we're in the practice test area. And I know that's, uh, I think, probably about the season. <laughs> season for a lot of students is uh, the students who are getting ready for step one during this time period, and... There are students, of course, like myself and my, my cohort who are all getting ready for step two. And then, of course, uh, there's, in Trinity, it's always a fifth term. Um, you know, every term is always a fifth term. Uh, and they are getting ready for CBSE at this point. Uh, you know, CBSE is a prerequisite to step one for Trinity. And so, yeah, so we're, I'm also working with the SGA as the, I forget my title exactly, but it's like core, 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 
coordinator or co-director or something like that. Uh, I essentially just advocate for students in the clinical core rotations and uh, try to be a resource to them if they have questions and whatnot. So as being part of the SGA, I, I, I feel very strongly that the, the clinical terms or that the, um, people do well in the clinical terms if they are well prepared in the uh, fifth term. Like they, you don't need to be like learning physical exams. I mean, you should be learning physical exams, but when you're, you're getting ready for step one, you don't need to be too involved in the clinical world, but it does help to know how to get into the clinical, you know, once you get past step one or once you get past the CBSC, knowing to uh, get the ID for ECFMG and then get your permit and all that process. Um, so if there's any like fifth term students out there listening or people getting close to fifth term, just keep in mind that as you get into fifth term, as you're kind of progressing towards that CBSE, uh, start looking at going on to ECFMG and getting your ID number. You can register, the school verifies you, and you get an ID number. And it does, I think, require a video call with some sort of notary you can't just go to any notary you have to use their notary and it ends up costing like 150 or something like that um, but it's certainly worth doing if you're doing the work uh, let me pre preface this like because there's people who do fifth term a couple of times and you know you, it, everyone's got a unique situation but if you're doing the work you're putting in the time and the effort you're taking the practice test you're taking it seriously you are doing lots and lots of questions you're reviewing the questions you're being diligent like if you if you're just doing half a day or you're just or you're just attending the lectures maybe i'm not talking to you um but if you do the work you prepare well for cbse and all your practice exams are kind of pointing you in the direction of you're going to do fine you're going to pass then it's a good idea to get that ecfmg id number so that when you pass cbse there is nothing that is going to stop you from registering for step one. Because, again, it kind of goes back to a previous topic we've had before about timelines and that you want to know when do you want to match and how many weeks do you have to go into cores, how many weeks do you have to get your electives done, and where does that line up with on your match date? Because if, you, if you're basically going to start clinical rotations at Trinity in September, it's probably unlikely you might in a year later after doing all your cores you will be in September so matching is going to be tough because then you have to take your step two and get a score back and then start electives very quickly like in succession and on top of all that you get your ERAS application done get your letters of recommendation you're doing a lot in one month it's, it's a very I'm not doing that I'm doing obviously I finished my rotations in July so I have like August and September is when all the, the real action happens. But Well, we're going to be doing a lot of it in August because Eric is starting an away rotation right. at the very end of August. So we have to have everything done in August so that come September he can just hit the button just and be like, in. we're done. Yeah, everything, just load up everything and do a little bit of extra work as needed, but not... so. Again, this kind of goes to kind of knowing your timeline. If you're a student in the fifth term, just kind of thinking about it. Okay, if I end fifth term in September, 
and the start date is September, you're probably not making that start date because you still have to take step one. And so you might be starting in January, depending on how quickly you take your step one. Yeah, any extra testing or, um, I guess, testing that you have to do outside of the school, um, there is a process to go through in order to be able to do that. So you, and it can be lengthy depending on how busy, like, the admin just got through with graduation and the dean is starting all of her ERAS applications, ERAS letters. And those are like 10 page per student. Oh, sorry. MSPEs. Oh, I'm sorry. MSPEs. That's my, my fault. Um, and those are like 10 page per student that's going into the September match. So like right now the admin is very busy. And so, it might take a little bit longer for everything to get approved because I mean, you have a deadline with, with right. the people that are matching versus, so just kind of be aware, like, so yeah, knowing kind of when you get in the fifth term, kind of being aware of, okay, if you, if you take CBSE and you pass it and you have your ECF and GID number, now all you need to do is register for a step. You need to apply for your permit. And so you have an idea, okay, well, if, I, if I'm going to end my term in end of August, and I think maybe six weeks is adequate, I don't know, I'm throwing a number out there, six weeks is adequate for de- dedicated to study time for step one, then, you know, sometime October, I want to take it. So I'll put my permit, you know, three-month window permit for around that time. And it's going to take admin some time, like, about four weeks to give you your permit back. And so once you have your permit back, then you could register for a date. So a lot of things can happen. I think one of the things that uh, can be a pitfall is that you get past CBSE and then you start the process. And I, I say that as a pitfall because like maybe in your mind you're going, well, my timeline says if I start in, if I take my step in October and then I start my rotations in J- January, then I'll make sure I hit this particular date and these matches. These, this works with my schedule in X, Y, and Z. The pitfall is that sometimes that those processes take time and sometimes students get a little discouraged or they see it as, well, I don't have a date yet, so therefore I don't have to be as dedicated to my study. And um, and if you're a very disciplined person, then this is probably not something that's really uh, applicable to you. Uh, But I know for myself and many other students that if you have a date, it becomes real. Like it's now a real thing. You can push that date back. You can pay a little bit and you can keep it within the window. Maybe you don't have to pay as much, et cetera. But like having that step date, whether it's CK or step one, becomes a very real thing. Like that test is going to come and you need to be ready for it. You need, and sometimes you need that a little bit of stress to kind of motivate you to do the work. And so if you are waiting till after CBSE to start this process, you may not have that fire under you because you don't actually have a date. And so you might be like, oh, I'll, I'll study, but like it, you know, maybe a couple hours a day, you know, a couple hours and I'll do whatever I want. And then finally, four weeks later, after you've applied for your permit, you finally get it. You, instead of having six weeks, maybe you only have, I don't know, three, whatever it is. Yeah. So you, you, you don't want to cut yourself short. So, uh, and then 
you can walk and chew gum in fifth term. Like you're able to study, you're able to do practice questions. And some of this process for ECFMG, getting the ID number is not hard. It doesn't, and it does not take up a lot of time. No, it seems like fifth term for, at least for the Trinity students, it kind of sorted out. I mean, you kind of got students in a couple of different categories. Like it was a little bit of a breather term. And so you had class wise, because really you were only studying for one test, the CBSE. It's the only thing that really matters. I mean, towards the end, you, you do do a CLS and PALS and BLS certifications. And then you are doing some clinical skills. You might have some iHuman cases to do. That's This is why I think you should try to pass the CBSE on the first time. And the schedule might be a little bit different now. When I took it, it was CBSE, iHuman, it's like CBSE 1, iHuman, PALS, ACLS, and then like, and then we had like CBSE 2. So there, there wasn't, a, there was a lot of stuff jammed in between the two CBSE exams. And so if you didn't do great on, on the first one, the time you had to devote to studying and correcting behaviors and getting better and to improve your score for the second one was limited. Yeah. Yeah, and I think... The schedule might be different now. Yeah, the schedule might be different, but I do think that, like, (laughs) there is a significant jump from from living on the island where, yes, there is stuff to do, but not as much as when you come back to the States. So you come... All sorts of excuses not to Yeah, you come back to the States, so you have access to so much more, and there's so many more distractions... You can go to and the bar, then, you go to the club, you can go to Atlanta. Yeah, <laughs> and then on top of that, you have what seems like a lesser schedule. And so it seems like you have more time to just be. You have time, <laughs> when, you can time, time to do, what, do all these extra activities, and then and somewhere in your head you've rationalized it to, but I have all this extra time that I can make up the time I lost. <laughs> <laughs> but... It seems to get quite a few people. Yeah, it it, it comes quick. Yeah, and it, it's not it's nothing on them, like because there was ways to get distracted on the island as well. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's an island, and it's warm, and there's water, and you can do all of those things. But yeah, um, if you're really motivated, you can distract yourself. Yes, but I think it's easier to get distracted in the states than it was on the island. Ironically enough. No, that's, that totally makes sense. In, in the States, you also have proximity. Like, so if you, you can theoretically go up to the airport, hop on a plane, and be home in a couple hours, versus if you, you know, on an island, it, <laughs> there was no quick and easy way to get into and from the island. There, there was a direct flight from Miami to St. Vincent, um, like, a couple of days a week, but, like, not every day of the week. And if you took any of the other airlines... You would have to island hop, and, and you know most of the times it was at least a day's worth of traveling. So you know, getting back home, what it wasn't as uh, convenient. Whereas here, it's like, oh, I have I have a, a few week, I have a week off or something like that. I can go go home, visit friends, and, and you suddenly, poof, there goes you know forty hours at least of studying that you could be doing. 
Yeah. So just be, again, be cognizant of your time and your timeline. Because, I mean, you, if you have a, if you are on a certain timeline, you can schedule those times to go home or take a break or whatnot, because you are not going to, like, from if, from September to September, you're obviously not going to make that September match. So then you have basically a year and a half to get everything done. I, I wouldn't say you can't. I'm just saying I, it would be challenging. It's, it's challenging. I don't see how you can, because we started, when did we start? Cores. Um, July. Yeah. We got an early start in July, and I just can't, with how busy we are right now, trying to get everything accomplished. <laughs> it, it is theoretically, us, it is theoretically I possible. It. It's just, you really have to be pushing. And I, I, I say it again, I say it's theoretically possible, but I wouldn't leave anything to chance. I mean, you, you, well, of course you have, you have all these shelves, and if you have a bad day and you don't pass a shelf, then you do have to retake the shelf, and it that could put you back three weeks at least. Um, so you you can have bad days, and people have bad days, and most of the time you do if you do your work, you put your head down and you study during your cores, like during your rotations, even when you're on rotation and when you're online, you probably will pass your shelves. Most people I think pass their shelves no problem, but. Some people have bad days, and that happens. But I, I, I guess I, I'm trying to say is, it's not impossible to do. You know, when if you end in September and you want to match that same September, uh, it's possible. It just means that everything has to go very smoothly, and you know, that sometimes that sometimes that doesn't work out. But maybe it will. It will for you. Uh, Either way, I know we. I, I, that was not in my show notes. I, it was something I just kind of really wanted to at least talk about a little bit with fifth term and, and kind of looking ahead. I think sometimes it's a bit of a blind spot for students coming from the island to fifth term in Warner Robins. Uh, you're you're trying to figure out housing. You're trying to figure out where the school is. What, <laughs> and then on top of all that, you. Uh, you know that there's this elusive step one that you have to get past, and then. Then there's clinical cores that's beyond that and electives. And that's about as much as I knew going into it. And I had talked to a bunch of people. And I don't know, it's kind of a blind spot, like not really understanding next steps. what's the next step. And I think it's good to ask questions. Uh, I, I think it's always good to ask questions and get people who are going through it to explain it to you as best you can, as best they can. And give them kind of a day a day as much as they can do so that I don't know it's something to look forward to as well like if you're doing the work you're going to pass step one you're going to do well on step one and you're going to be in clinical rotations and in the cores and really that's the best part of medical school it really is uh I mean preparing for step two is going to be a little nerve-wracking doing the match is going to be nerve-wracking but like being on rotation way more fun than being in fifth term way more fun than you know the first one through fourth terms on the island like the island was great i i, I did enjoy our time there but clinical rotations is what <laughs> way better than sitting in the library for hours on end studying like i'm out there talking to preceptors talking to patients study i'm still 
you know, going back and studying and doing questions. I'm still doing the library time, quote unquote, but by far the hands-on and the actual applicability of what we're doing and impacting patients' lives is so much more. It's what you went to medical school for. It's, <laughs> you didn't go to medical school to, to learn books for you know for two years. I mean, no one no one goes, oh, yeah, I want to do medical school because the first two years are just going to be great. Like, no, med- <laughs> first two years are, are rough. Um, you still, it builds habits that you're going to need to use later on in years three and four, but years three and four are really what it's, what it's all about. That's a that's a siren. Yep. Not a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't think you can hear the background music. But we're <laughs> we're running a little bit long on time here. So, do you have anything else you want to chip in here? As far as the family front going with who are surviving, kids think that daddy's a dinosaur, uh, a doctor who punches dinosaurs. So, I think <laughs> we're it's a finding win. out gender this week. Yeah, we're doing a we're doing ultrasound anatomy ultrasound. On Thursday, if today was any indication, I should make it. Yep. And then since Eric worked all this weekend, we're going to try and get a date in this this coming weekend. So all yes. good things. We're all very, very decisive individuals. So we have anything from bowling to shopping to uh, movie. We have, we have a few options, apparently, that we have yet to decide on. But we will figure it out. But I found a babysitter. That is that is job one. <laughs> yes, step one, babysitter. Step two. <laughs> step three, profit. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we will. Have a good week, guys. Um, send this message on Instagram, MedFamilyMD. Yep. And uh, follow us on iTunes, Amazon. I think someone asked me like how to listen to it. Amazon. Um uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, whatever podcasts or whatever music app you typically listen to, you should be able to find our podcast on there. And I think someone asked me if there was video. There is no video. I have a face for radio and radio only. So <laughs> audio in this case. So, um, nobody, nobody wants to see me uh, video this and I'm not going to do Twitch. So <laughs> have a good week. Have a good week. <laughs> Bye.